edition. Barry, home for the holidays. It's episode 221, Breaking Fable with Boudron and Barry. I hope everyone's holiday season has gone well. Barry, has your holiday season gone well? This, I got to tell you, Jeff, this is one of the best holiday seasons that I recall in years. So absolutely it is. Did Santa bring you something? Oh, or did you get a lump of coal in the stocking, even though, of course, uh, you, you know. So, I don't know. Are you Jewish? Do you even celebrate Christmas? And I'm lumpy. Go figure. So I got it exactly. It's like all the everything you're saying, yeah, I'm falling into right there. But uh, you know what? Santa came uh, a little early for me this year. So uh, early too, but that's another story. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's been th- this holiday season. Look, it's been a weird year for me, but. We should say it's been a weird year for uh, a couple of years for everyone with COVID and everything that's taken place. And certainly there were some changes in my life this year. But I got to say the last couple of months, it has just been fantastic. I could be no happier. Best holiday season I can recall in quite a while, Jeff. So because we are nothing, if what are we, Barry? We're givers. We're givers. That's been established. This edition of Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, we are going into the 90s. We are going to, I believe it was Super Brawlberry, on the leap year, we're talking the 20, is that the 28th or the 29th of February? Hold on, let me check my notes real quick. The 29th, the 29th of February, 1992, we're talking about the Steiner Brothers versus Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson. How cool does that sound, Barry? That's got to be one of the best tag matches of all time. I'm guessing it probably is, and it'll be fun to listen to. Besides that... For your holiday listening pleasure, I know we're past Christmas slightly, but we're offering up our top 10 Christmas movies. And because in the holiday season, it's time of giving, it is time of sharing, we are going to have a special message from friend of the show, Frankie Seacrest, and he is going to bury, this is just an extremely generous, generous offer regarding the CWF Legends Fan Fest, Frankie and his, his wife, good people, Barry. Yeah, so we're not going to give away a spoiler here. You will have to listen to the entire episode to see. But Frankie and his lovely, beautiful, and very successful and highly intelligent wife, Jana. Are you trying to pick pick her up there, Ray? Because you're throwing out some plaudits there. Way out of my league, Jeff. Way out of my league. Pearls before swine. Remember that whole thing? Yes, exactly. By the way, I meant to ask you, uh, during your holiday season, did you, uh, were you able to get any pasta berry? I did. So it's been a nonstop pasta fest. Yes. during, but yeah, it has been, but we are, we are eternally grateful and humbled by what uh, Frankie and his wife are offering. So again, you've got to make it through this episode to hear, we're not going to spoil it, but you're going to be really surprised people. And you're going to be very, very happy when you hear what Frankie and his wife are doing. Yes. And getting back to pasta, I had some pasta recently. Unfortunately, I was by myself, <clears throat> but uh, the story, you know, another day. So Barry, before we get going on the show, I just want to mention uh, once again, our good friend, Greg Klein, a sponsor of this fine podcast. We encourage you to uh, use our sponsors to, uh, what's the word, uh, patronize our sponsors. I think I fucked that up last week, so we'll try it again. Greg Klein has written a book called The Paper Tigers, going back into a little bit of history, uh, history of uh, the Philadelphia area, by the way, Barry, uh, the Philadelphia Atlantics, long before they were the Oakland Athletics, and I believe long before they were the Kansas City Athletics also. Uh, you know, the Philadelphia Athletics around the uh, the turn of the century, last hundred years ago, that turn of the century, you got baseball, you got Philadelphia history. Barry, I know you're going to get a copy of this book. 
Yeah, so I, I've, I've had a copy. I've been reading you the son book. of a bitch. You didn't tell us that. I, I know, but it's uh, it, look, he has done a great job. And Greg has written books. You may, you may recognize his name, too. He is a, uh, a guy that did some independent professional wrestling, I believe was trained by Jerry Gray, who was a mothership favorite. Also, Adrian Street. He wrote the JYD book. Uh, he's part of a, a film board in upstate New York. And if I'm correct, Jeff, he lives super close to the Baseball Hall of Fame in in, uh, in New York. Uh, is it Cooper's, Cooperstown, Cooperstown, right? Cooperstown, yeah. So he is in the, uh, he lives right there. I, I'm assuming in writing this book and understanding the history of this book that Greg is a gigantic, gigantic baseball fan. But this is a really cool story. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. And I'm not going to read the dust jacket and the, the synopsis, but essentially, there was, as you said, it was the athletics, the Philadelphia athletics, and the team was suspended and they had to take on players for one day. So they got this, this ragtag bunch of players and they made them professional major leaguers for one day only. So it's an amazing story. Greg has done a great job with the research on that. And you can reach out to Greg directly by going to his PayPal. And I will give you his email address. It is J. J Havoc, that's J J H A V O K at AOL.com for 30 bucks. Greg will send you an autographed copy of the book. He will also put in an inscription for you. So one thing that we usually always, that's extra. You know, you're joking. That is extra because people, Jeff, people do this shit. You go to fan fest, whether it's not ours, obviously, but professional wrestling fan fest. And if you want somebody to inscribe something, They'll ask for an additional 20 bucks or something like that. You go to a, a horror movie convention, which I go to plenty of those. And if you want like a line from the movie added to it, yeah, it's an additional 20 bucks. Greg's doing this essentially for free people. And 30 bucks is going to get you the inscribed signed copy and mailed to you. And I don't know how much mail is this these days, Jeff. I, I'm assuming he's losing money at this stage because mail is just fucking out of control. But this is a really good book. And again, Jeff and I, we puff our chests out, Sweet Lou as well. The three of us will brag, stick our chests out because we know that our listeners support people who either advertise or have something going on with us. With that, Jeff, what do you think about this book? You're a gigantic, and Sweet Lou should also. Sweet Lou, gigantic baseball fan. One of the better baseball books you guys have ever read? I would say definitely. You know, it's uh, right up there with your, uh, your boys of summer, uh, this kind of thing. Uh, I mentioned, uh, in a recent episode of the show that uh, I've been uh, reading uh, the book, The Babe, uh, about Babe Russo, right around this general time frame. So always good to learn. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Someone said that once, Barry, and it's very, very true. Oh. All right, Barry, now time for this week's match of the week. We are going to, ooh, it must have been a leap year, Barry, because we are going to February 29th. 1992 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I believe it was Super Brawl. We are talking, oh, the Steiner brothers versus Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson. I know right now we have several several of our listeners knowing that we are talking WCW. They're going, oh, and they are just super excited. Barry, you had a chance to watch this match. Tell the folks what you thought. They are super excited, and I'll tell you, we usually we uh, are. You super excited right now, Barry? I'm pretty. Uh, I'm sporting a minor wood over this. Okay, one. All right. it is. I know Javorski is famous for his whole cranking off thing, but I got to tell you, 
Knowing Chris Zaha and what he thinks about these four guys, I bet he's leading the pack in that right now. But look, all kidding aside, how could this be a bad match, right? Like, how could, even on their worst day, how is this going to be a bad match? You had the Steiner brothers, who at this stage, and probably a year prior to this, maybe a year and a half prior, one of the top tag teams in the entire world. And they hadn't gone to the WWF yet. They, you know, they hadn't become legendary for being assholes and inappropriate behavior and all this other stuff. This was a really good, solid tag team. And I think this was for diehard wrestling fans like us, Jeff, for observer readers and the people that were really vested into professional wrestling. Steiner brothers were everything we were looking for. They were a wrestling tag team who came off as legit badasses. So it was perfect for us. Then you got Arn and Bobby. Bobby probably, you know, is there anybody who didn't love Bobby Eaton as a tag team wrestler? Midnight the answer to that is no. There's no. Everybody loved Bobby Eaton. And it's uh and Arn Anderson, there's another one. These were these were two of, I would say, maybe two of the top five or ten most popular wrestlers with the sheet wrestling crowd, which now would be the internet wrestling crowd. But as far as sheet readers, Terry Funk, right? Arn, Ric Flair, Bobby Eaton, these were all the most popular guys. So you put these four guys together and what do you get? You get a great fucking match. And that's exactly what this is. Add to that Paulie Dangerously, who's about 70 pounds lighter, much younger, obviously. Full head of hair. Full head of hair. Looks like a normal human being, and uh, he does a great job. They actually, Are you saying as compared to now? He's a little, well, his mic work, I think, is still just absolutely fantastic, and his facials are great, but what's great about this is there, there's, in the beginning of this match, the referees are dragging dangerously back to the dressing room, and he's fighting, he's screaming, and the visual of it, it's perfect. Like it's just absolutely perfect. And I think sometimes I think dangerously, I think he's overshadowed by his current success as a manager. He's been very successful in the WWE for years now. And obviously being the owner of uh, ECW for years, but you look at this work right here and this guy was the top of his game. So he's being dragged back. He is not allowed to be ringside. So they send Medusa and hold on one second. Cheap plug, CWF Legends Fan Fest 8, June the 4th, 2022, headlined by the Demolition, also known as uh, the Mass Superstar, and what was his name? Crusher Khrushchev. <laughs> yep. Right. Uh, Barry I'm, Darsaw. <laughs> I'm drawing blanks today. And Medusa. So Medusa will be there. So I wanted to squeeze that cheap plug in. But Medusa's great. You know, she does a great job, and uh, she's she great at She is smoking hot here, too, by the way. Gorgeous, because what you've got here, and Jeff, you're 100% correct. Check. So what what makes Medusa gorgeous here? Beautiful face, beautiful hair. The shape she is in is unbelievable. She's dressed. She looks fantastic in the way she's dressed. She's also super athletic, which is obvious when you look at her. She hits on every cylinder, I believe. She just really is smoking hot. Scott Steiner does a tilt-a-whirl slam on Bobby Eaton on the ramp leading into the ring. You catch that? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, there were some great spots in this match. They they really were. So they they actually gave this match, too. They gave this, what, 20, 25 minutes, somewhere around there. So you gave this match enough time, because I always felt with Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, give them 20 and 25 minutes, because these guys can do it. That was a great spot. So overall, 
I would say this is as good a tag match as you're going to get. I do think Bobby and Arn underrated. We'll always talk about Arn and Tully. We'll always talk about the Midnight Express. But the truth is, Bobby and Arn, what a team. When Bobby does the Alabama Jam, let me ask you, has, has there ever been a better knee drop from the top rope than Bobby Eaton? Because he flies off that top rope with that knee. He lands precision. You know he's barely touching the guy, if even touching him, but it looks like he just killed him. Has anybody ever done a knee off the top rope that looked as good as Bobby Eaton? No, I really don't think so. Because the guys that did the moves that looked, the other guys that did the move that, uh, you know, made it look great was the guys that were probably actually hitting their opponents and uh, causing some sort of in- injury. The fact that Bobby, being the consummate professional, could do that move either A, without even hitting the person, or B, hitting them so lightly that they barely felt it. It's like the way people used to describe Randy Savage's elbow drop, that you, you'd never feel it because of the way that he landed and because Randy was such a professional about it, you know? So, uh, yeah, good stuff. So, right away, Barry, are, are you done? I am, sir. Okay, a uh, couple of questions. First of all, as I watched this match, and you were right, uh, lots of fun before the match starts with Paul Lee getting thrown out of the ringside area. So... I was watching this, and I started thinking to myself, you know, when people talk about the greatest managers in the history of the business, okay, and you always hear Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, uh, I know you were a big fan of uh, guys like Sir Oliver Humperdinck uh, and, and other guys that uh, we've talked about, Gary Hart on this show, where would you put Paul E. as a manager in the pantheon uh, of the wrestling business? Like, for instance, if you were to have a Mount Everest of pro wrestling managers, does hmm. Paul E. belong on that Mount Everest? So we're Mount Everest being four, four, four. names. <sighs> That's a very tough call. I'm going to say he doesn't. And it's not his fault. I'm pulling a little Jimmy Garvin right there where it's not my fault and it's not his fault. But. The reason being, so when I do say a guy like Sir Oliver Humperdinck, that's based off of seeing Humperdinck on a weekly basis uh, on television and at the arenas for years, right? So his run was legendary in the state of Florida. Paulie, as far as the territories, never had what I would consider wise an epic run going, right? He came around mm-hmm. in the late 80s. So the territories were dying. National exposure would have been WCW in the NWA. ECW to some degree, but I believe he was already changing in ECW. I don't think we saw the best Paulie dangerously in ECW and what he's doing currently in the WWE is great, but we also know that's really tempered. Like, you know, it's, it's gotta be approved. What's all taking place. I don't think he belongs top four of all time though. He's had moments, but if he had spent, Hey, if he had come around a few years earlier, when managers were really valuable, right? Really prior to McMahon, in my opinion, is when managers were were really and, valuable. And honestly, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, uh, McMahon has never, I don't think, uh, and what's really amazing is when Vince first bought the Federation, you still had the Albanos, the Grand Wizard, the Freddie Blassie, that, that he dealt with for 10 years as an announcer, and that somehow he did not see the value of the, uh, of a manager. I mean, you know, he had Heenan in, in a prime spotlight. He had Jimmy Hart. He kind of bastardized Jimmy Hart from what we'd seen in Memphis. Yep. Uh, and he had other guys, you know, uh, that were uh, in a more of a minor role, you know, guys like slick and, 
other guys. Uh, uh, who's the guy that uh, uh, Frenchie Martin? Like, like oh, really? You know, I mean, that was just horrible. So I don't really think that after he bought the Federation, other than a couple of guys, he really took full advantage of the use of a manager. Now, that being said, Paulie is the manager of Brock Lesnar. Based on the limited amount I've seen of them, comes off as very credible, you know, with the whole, my name is Paul, you know. And so, uh, you know, I think he's effective in that. I think, much like you said, I think it's a close call that I think he does not quite make. Right now, by the way, I can hear some of the old ECW maniacs going, how can you fucking not put Paulie on that list? They're mad. Mad. So, uh, but I I mean, I think it's a fair question. I think uh, if he, let's put it this way, if he doesn't make it, it's probably really close. Would that be fair, Bear? Yeah. So, Jeff, why don't we take this to the next level? Who would the four great, that that we're aware, guys are going to say Bobby Davis. I hear the name Bobby Davis. I never saw Bobby Davis. There's not a lot of footage. So it's really hard to comment on it. Who would be the four, in your opinion, four greatest wrestling managers of all time? Well, first of all, it's Heenan and Cornette. Uh, I don't think there's any question there. Let me think. I'm going to put Jimmy Hart on there. And before everyone uh, has a stroke, let me say, I'm not talking about the Jimmy Hart that was in WCW. I'm not talking even necessarily about the Jimmy Hart that was in the WWF. Although, I think the Jimmy Hart that managed the Hart Foundation he was still good. It wasn't until he more or less aligned himself with the hoaxer uh, that he really just became this sanitized, uh, not even PG-13. He just became this family-friendly mouth of the South, you know? And and boy, after seeing Jimmy Hart from like, I don't know, what was it? Uh, they always say the famous run was 1980 to 84 in Memphis. I'm telling you, folks, if you've never seen anything from Memphis between 1980 and 1984, you haven't seen Jimmy Hart every, and, and again, I like to say this about Memphis. Think about it. You had a guy that had a four to five year run in the same city every single week. He had to put people's asses in the seats, you know, much like Lawler, but Lawler had his foil. You know, we always talk about how Hogan had to have Piper. Well, Jerry Lawler had to have Jimmy Hart. It wasn't one, you know, yeah, there was Dundee. Yeah, there was Dutch Mantel and, and other guys, Jimmy Valiant, guys that were kind of rotating in and out uh, as uh, this week's Jim, uh, Jerry Lawler foil. But the one constant for that four to five year period was Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart was the guy. And Jerry Lawler, by all historical accounts, did not know that he was the guy that when they brought brought in, I think was it Paul Ellering to replace him? He said, you know, when a horse goes lame, you put him down, you know? And Jerry Lawler didn't know that line was coming out and got pissed off legitimately that Jimmy Hart had said that about him. You know, this guy was was doing shit that was so cutting edge back then that, dare I say, in Memphis, he might have been better than even Heenan was in the AWA. He might have been better than Cornette was in Mid-South and in the NWA. I mean, I know some people are going to lose their minds about that, but I'm telling you, Jimmy Hart in Memphis was fucking money in the bank. Pete Letterberg has been championing, which you know also, we, we talked about that. Pete will be the first one. So Pete was the first of my, uh, I guess, my local friends to really grasp onto Memphis. He loved Memphis wrestling. He became an expert. He traveled to Memphis several times to see matches and actually has a friendship with Jerry Lawler. And you're right. What Jimmy Hart did in Memphis over a several-year period was one of those things. And I, I will always think, in essence, 
the best managers were the managers in territories, not in end. Even Cornette, Cornette's best work didn't occur in the NWA, in my opinion. You know, it might have been mid south, it might have been at another territory, but Cornette might be exempt from that in the sense that he did do amazing work. But what Jimmy Hart did in the territories, guys like Sir Oliver Humperdinck, even J.J. Dillon, before J.J. became known as the manager of the horsemen or the advisor of the horsemen, what he was doing in the territories was next level. And I think it's much different if you're going to be a manager, and even as a wrestler cutting promos, your mindset's going to be different territory versus national. You're not going to be doing the same exact thing. So I would agree with you. So if I was going to pick it out, Jeff, and I don't think, did you ever give me a fourth? No, because I, you know, to be honest with you, those are the three that I'd always have on there. My fourth kind of changes with the wind, you know? I, I mean, I, I would, you know, guys you mentioned there, there were people, uh, you know, Paul Lee would be a candidate for that fourth spot with me. Uh, Gary Hart, there are places that I thought he was really effective and did a great job. And then there's other times that I saw Gary Hart that I completely hated him and not in the way that uh, I mean, in a good way. Like I didn't hate him because I thought he was doing a great job as a heel manager. I hated him uh, like because he was annoying me. I, I hated. And let me ask you this, because you saw him before Gary Hart before the plane crash. Did he take bumps? Yeah. So it's two different guys, Jeff. It's two yeah. different guys. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that always bothered me about. Gary Hart and WCW, uh, you know, uh, besides the stuff with Muda, but when Gary Hart was like managing Terry Funk and he would come in the ring and like, you know, Flair is your lead babyface at the time and Flair would punch Gary Hart and Gary Hart would kind of lean against the ropes. I'm like, Flair's your lead fucking babyface. How do you, and you know, if it was because he couldn't take the bump because of his, you know, his injuries from the plane crash, well then of course I completely respect that. And I understand, but it always came out to me like, Gary just kind of sort of not wanting to put the guys over. So I, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, my misunderstanding of the things, but uh, I'm trying to think of uh, JJ for certain things. I think he definitely could have been I'm trying to think who else I'm missing here. Uh, Lord Al Hayes and, you know, people that only saw Lord Al Hayes when he was in the WWF as like kind of the stooge on Tuesday night Titans really miss out on the fact that Lord Alfred Hayes and uh, mid Atlantic around, what would that be about 1983 ish? And Lord Al Hayes, when he was in Florida in the late 70s and early eight into 1980, uh, was and and in the AWA also, I believe, uh, was very effective as a heel manager. Yeah, he was great in Florida, and we had never seen anything like Lord Al Hayes. He had he was again completely where the WWF positioned him as kind of this buffoonish character on TNT and and on commentary. He was this British nobleman. You know, he was a lord, right? Well, his interviews portrayed that. He was very snotty. And it was great because he's in Florida where, you know, there's we have a lot of Southerners, right? We're, we're a Southern state. So he would at, at no problem, much like Andy Kaufman, but not as acerbic as Andy Kaufman. But he would have no problem talking down to Floridians. And I'm sure he did that in the mid-Atlantic region as well. So for me, I would go. I just remembered a name. Go ahead. No, go for it. Who is it? Uh, we just talked about him on our Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, it's got a gentleman, Saul Weingraf, uh, you know, uh, a guy who's uh, Jewish managing a, a German slash Nazi tag team in Florida with a large Jewish population. You can imagine the kind of blowback the guy got on that, you know? Think about how scary it must have been to be that guy traveling. That's just next level. And he probably definitely should be on there. And by all accounts, too, again, a guy that I, I never saw in person, 
But at the same time, look, you got the Mount Rushmore up there, right? Well, we weren't around when like George Washington was president, right? So if we're going to go off of history, you're 100% correct again, Jeff, because a guy like Weingaroff, what he accomplished, and his career primarily stuck to the Deep South, where he was a, a Jewish guy in the, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, when the South was not quite as progressive as it currently is, but then get to the areas like Miami Beach, where there was a, a huge Jewish population. And as you just said, you've got a Jewish guy managing two Nazis. Talk about heat. Yeah, you're getting a lot of heat with that. So I like that. For me, the first three are easy. It is uh, Jim Cornette, Bobby Heenan, and Sir Oliver Humperdinck. That fourth is a bit of a variable. I will say, and this is certainly going to upset the older fans of the WWWF, the way that the big three, the three wise men, Freddie Blassie, Captain Lou Albano, and the Grand Wizard were, were presented it's part of your childhood if you grew up with that. And I get why you would embrace it because everything from our childhood, we always remember a lot more fondly. We always look back at it with wonderful, but you know, all they would do essentially is they would do television. They were never doing the arenas, which that to me makes no sense. Why, why they weren't showing up to the, the arenas, right? Why would you just do TV only? And then it was just strictly interviews, but, I don't think we saw a lot of depth from these guys. It, they were, it was, they were, it was one note stuff. It was, you know, Albano was essentially the same every week, but I think they all were, whether it was Blassie or the Grand Wizard, maybe the Grand Wizard a little different at times, but I was just always really unimpressed with the amount of exposure and publicity that the managers in the WWWF got versus what we were actually seeing when they were out there. I wonder if... And this would certainly have to go to our older listeners. I wonder if Ernie Roth was better as the Grand Wizard or as Abdullah Farouk. What do you think? I think Abdullah Farouk. I think if you because take, he was going out to ringside with the Sheik in yes. Detroit, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was getting involved apparently, and there was a lot going on. So I, I think, I think it's the constraints of what New York did. You know, New York always had different rules as well. Look, they use the tag rope, right? Which I believe they still use. And uh, AEW may even be using the tag rope. But, you know, growing up in Florida and the territories in the South, we didn't have a tag team rope. I remember the first time seeing that going, what the fuck is that? Like a tampon string just hanging down from the fucking turnbuckle, right? So I just never, uh, I never got it. But I, I think this is all part of it. I, I think this is what they wanted to present. And, uh, You've seen photos of him as Abdullah Farouk and handing things to the Sheik. And, you know, I just I think he would have been a lot more effective in that role. All right, let's get back to the match, because once again, we veered off on that left turn. Did we? Right. Yes, we did. Yeah. So uh, let's get back to our match with the Steiners and Bobby Eaton and uh, Arn Anderson. So after I first watched this match, one of the things that I uh, reached out to you and said was as good as this match is. And, you know, we've talked before, Barry, when, when you say, oh, a match is great because the crowd is so good in this or, or, or this or that. And we've also mentioned, and this is the time when I definitely want to point it out, when the announcers enhanced the match. And Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura are absolutely on fucking fire in this match, uh, just with the quips going back and forth. So as you're watching the Steiners and Bobby and Arn, you know, beat the stew out of one another. Jim and Jesse just have the zingers and the one-liners, and not to the point where it's going, it's detracting from you being able to watch the match, 
they're so fucking funny that you're like, you know, you're trying not to laugh as you're watching, you know, Bobby Eaton hit the Alabama jam or you're watching uh, Scott Steiner hit the Frankensteiner and you're, it's adding to your appreciation of this match. How great were Jesse and Ross and and this match bear? It was funny too. When you and I were talking about this match on off air, the first thing you said to me with no hesitation was how fucking great was this announcing team? And I agree with you. They were, they were fantastic. So, and I will say as an avowed fan of the university of Notre Dame, Part of the reason why I love this was the way that Jesse, proud resident of the state of Minnesota, kept ripping on the University of Michigan. Oh, my God, it was fucking hilarious. And the fact that Jesse said, quote, there should be an investigation into the University of Michigan because there is no way that Rick Steiner passed an SAT class. And then Jim says, well, they're both (laughs) graduates. And he says, well, then I think that says a lot about the University of Michigan. Wow, did I pop for that line. Yeah, that was uh, that's great stuff too, and a lot going on with Notre Dame lately too, Jeff. Well, that, that's uh, another story for another time, yeah. perhaps. Uh, or Patreon, Patreon. Uh, Patreon content, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, before we wrap up this, and, and this is another a great match. We'll post a link to it uh, on our Facebook group, Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. Uh, this is something. First of all, if the announcing sucked, this match is good enough to to watch uh, without the uh, announcing, but the added combination, great match, great announcing, makes this a must see. Before we go, Barry, my last comment to you that I wanted to ask, and we talked about this off air, but I want to share this with the listeners. Barry, because I don't watch that much of the current product, Bronson Recksteiner, what do you think about his potential? And he's Ah, Rick's son, correct? He's Rick's son. He walks like Rick. He's built like Rick, maybe four inches taller, wears the same singlet tights that go up to uh, the thigh. There's a lot of similarities. There was a reference from Johnny Gargano on NXT last week where I think it was a dog face gremlin. So there, there's all these little inside things. For whatever reason, they they call him Braun Breaker, which is the, the last, I mean, Breaker? I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. So I've changed a lot. I, I hated the fact when they were first pushing the kid because he comes off like an asshole and I, I did, you and I were talking about this, you're right, and he doesn't come off, even as a baby face, he was coming off like a real asshole, in that he comes off as like the guy that you, he was the captain of the football team, he's a badass, and he's not afraid to let you know it, so he's the kind of kid you probably hated in high school or junior high, seems like a real douchebag. I, I didn't like him, I felt he was being pushed down our throats, I hated him as a baby face, they turned him heel. But I got to tell you, Jeff, we're recording this the day after the NXT War Games where he won. He won the War Games match for the 2.0 stars, and he pinned the current champion, who was Tomasa Ciampa. And I've never liked Braun Breaker prior to last night, but I got to tell you, I think he stepped up big time last night for a rookie. And there is a great spot where Ciampa's got somebody on his shoulders i forget who it was and he's getting ready to put him through a table and lo and behold out of nowhere comes breaker spears champa through the table and wins the match and it was a thing of beauty it was done perfectly and i actually like the kid now i just as much as i like him i know the booking is going to take him to a place where i'm going to completely hate him again 
I mean, is this a guy that you could see eventually being a uh, a champion uh, in the WWE? Yeah, he's still young, but absolutely. I would, and I would say two or three more years. I would, you know, I I think his talent is unlimited. I would love to see him go anywhere but the WWE or NXT because I completely think that they'll fuck it up as they do every time, Jeff. That being said, this kid has it. It's apparent. And they're pushing him to the moon now, which you can also see. Sweet Lou also chiming in that uh, Johnny Gargano has also called him, quote, the big bad booty nephew. That's what it was then. That's that's what he as opposed to whatever I just said, dog phrase gremlin kid. It was this line that he used, and it, which is a reference to being a Steiner. Yes. Barry, it's time once again for us to visit our friends at thetoptens.com. And Barry, are you in a holiday mood? Are you in a holiday spirit? Jeff, I'm sitting here. I've got a Santa hat on. I have some eggnog next to me. The fireplace is going. No one is more festive right now than I am about the whole You holidays. are Mr. Festive. That's what, No, not Festus. Mr. Festive. That's what they call you. Uh, you know, bald. They thought maybe you'd be like Festus. So, Barry, I'm here to offer you. I know what your all-time favorite movie is. You claimed that it's a Christmas movie. There are mm-hmm. some discrepancies in that. There but are. let's talk, Barry, about the top 10 favorite and best Christmas movies of all time. Personally, I, I got to tell you, the one that they have as number one is not uh, my personal number one. But we're going to offer some other uh, choices that they have. I will say that among the, the stuff that they mention here, not all of them were released to the theater we have some that were uh, more of a TV product. Uh, you it's know. like a Hallmark kind of deal? No, not one of those goofy Hallmark Christmas movies, you know, okay. that stars for some former country and Western singer. Uh, you know, I'm talking about a, a movie like you're Frosty the Snowman, Charlie oh, Brown's true. Christmas, that kind of stuff. You yeah, know, yeah. so I don't want someone, you know, going, uh, it's not a real fucking movie. You know, I'm sure there'll be one guy that'll say that. But anyway, let's start, Barry, as we do sometimes outside of the top 10, number 24, Barry Scrooged. I didn't love Scrooged, and I really, even yeah, though it had yeah. Bill Murray, usually exactly, that exactly. So I was, and maybe it was the expectation of the fact that it's a Bill Murray movie. I knew what the story was. He wasn't funny in it. First off, he played a despicable character, which I get. That's what the character was. At the same time, there was something about the movie that I just couldn't connect with. It's very dark. I just didn't love it. I went and saw it opening day in the theaters, and I walked out, and I was really disappointed. I've watched it a few times since, but for some reason, I just don't really get into it. Yeah. When you say he was a despicable character, Barry, are you referencing the fact that he wanted the guy to staple the antlers onto the mouse? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's very dark also, yes. So, uh, okay, Barry, we're going to skip it. At number 22, the aforementioned Frosty the Snowman. Were you a fan? Absolutely. So there is very little, and I I can go back to being a fan as myself, but again, you have kids, you see everything through the eyes of your children, right? So my kid, every year when Frosty would come on, they would both get really excited. And then I would walk around the house and I would go, Frost, and my kids would eat it up. And I, during the holiday season, I'll actually call both, I used to do it in person, but now I'll call both kids and I'll do Frosty over the phone for them. So yeah, it's, it's in my heart, that one. So I will say that the uh, the magician that uh, brings uh, Frosty or his hat brings Frosty to life. Yep. There is a certain judge at the Broward County Courthouse. He's no longer a judge. A little bit of controversial ending to his tenure there. Uh, for any of our listeners out there who have roots at the Broward County Courthouse, all 
always reminded me of the magician in that in this movie. Uh, and if you uh, message me privately, I will tell you which judge that was. Now, Barry, skipping forward a little bit more. Oh, now here's one. Is this a Christmas movie? I can tell you there is definitely a Christmas component to this film at 21 Barry Gremlins. It's absolutely a Christmas movie. The movie takes place during the Christmas season. There's Christmas music. There's Christmas lights. It's absolutely, look, it's not. The father gives gizmo to his son as a Christmas gift, right? Exactly, exactly. Look, Phoebe Cates tells a horrific story about her father. Wait wait a second. Let's just take a moment. Pause right there. Oh, Phoebe Cates. Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. I think all heterosexual men will take a moment to stop and think about Phoebe Cates. Just I for think a she's so hot. I think she even transcends heterosexual men. Like I, I have a really? feeling. Wow. I okay. So I think Phoebe Cates. Our gay is, listeners are sitting there going, "Yeah, man, yes. for Phoebe, I might. Yeah, okay. for Phoebe, I would because she's that. Look, everybody likes Phoebe Cates, but she tells that story about uh, her father coming down the chimney and they light a fire and they smell something. I mean, that is a brutal story, but at the same time, it's 100% Christmas. We've had this conversation so many times, Jeff. What constitutes a Christmas movie? Does the movie have to be a feel-good celebration of the holiday to actually classify it as a Christmas movie? Is that what the criteria is? Are you waiting for an answer? I kind of was. That's why I <laughs> sat back after I said it. I'm like, well, right, I can tell t- you, Gremlins definitely qualifies. Uh, another movie that's further up the list may not, but I digress. So let me ask you on another subject, uh, but sort of related. Sure. Gremlins, the original versus Gremlins 2. What do you think? Oh, Gremlins 1. I, Gremlins 1. No, that's fair. But Gremlins 2. Not I bad. Think, yeah, not, not bad. bad at all. Oh, and no. a rare, rare time where Hulk Hogan is used effectively. The scene with Hulk Hogan is very funny. Do you remember that? I don't even remember it. Now. Yeah, yeah, the, the the gremlins have morphed into whatever the the bad gremlins are, and they're running amok, and they're uh, going into the projection room in the movie theater, and Hulk Hogan's watching a movie, and the manager comes, and he taps him on the shoulder, and he goes, uh, excuse me, Mr. Hogan, could you help us out? We've got a situation. And Hogan turns around, and he points to the projection room, and he goes, hey! It's a really funny usage of Hulk Hogan uh, in small dose, which is, you know, we don't want Hulk to star in the movie, <laughs> a, you know, a 15 second cameo. He was very funny and a very good usage of Hulk Hogan. Let's uh, skip forward a, a few here. A very 19 jingle all the way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a cute movie. I, I, uh, yeah, it's a, you know what? It's it a good holiday movie. One of Arnold's all time best. True. But, but taking that in and you're Jeff, you're hundred percent correct. Check. Taking that into account though, it is a Christmas movie. It's probably why it's not one of his better. Arnold's an action guy, and I get, look, there were scenes in Jingle all the way, but for the most part, it's a Christmas movie. It's not going to be a traditional Arnold, let me kill 8,000 people kind of movie. Usually it's limit 7,000. You're being a little bit exaggerated. I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm embellishing. 17 Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, or How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. So oh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, this guy. is a great big, one. big fan of The Grinch. You done. You didn't grow up in America and not be a big fan of Dr. Seuss or the Grinch, right? You had and to. And we're talking the animated one, not that, oh my God, that Jim Carrey one and then the one with Mike Myers. No, thank you. No, thank you. I want the original one with Boris friggin' Karloff yep. uh, as the narrator. Thank you. 16 Barry, the original, because the down, I didn't mention it, but further down the list, Uh-oh. there was one of the remakes 
1947 with Ed, I think it was uh, Edmund Gwynn, uh, Maureen O'Hara, and a oh. very, very young Natalie Wood, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, this is this would be one of the first. Uh, I, I do have a favorite old-time Christmas movie, which I'm hopeful is on this list, but this was right up there with one of the first Christmas movies. And I think this is uh, iconic, much like a, a Christmas story has become iconic, which I think came out in the 70s for this generation. But this miracle on 34th Street and Edmund Gwynn playing Santa, right? Correct? Yeah. Yeah, Chris yeah, yeah. Kringle. Chris Kringle, right, right. It was, uh, yeah, that that's that's legendary right there. That's an excellent movie. Yeah, and uh, the the uh, the courtroom scene as a uh, yeah. person that worked in a courtroom for a long time, I could definitely appreciate the judge trying to weigh uh, his reelection if he if he uh, screws over Santa Claus and how that's going to affect him is very funny. So uh, let's see here what we got uh, going up the list. Some more. Eh, let's see. Number up, uh, up, uh, number thirteen, Barry. A little film that took place at the Nakatomi t- Towers. Die Hard at thirteen, Barry. Well, so the issue you're going to run into with Die Hard is the age-old question, Jeff. Some people are going to say it's not a Christmas movie. Doesn't deserve to be a Christmas movie. Here's the thing: I've never heard a compelling argument as to why it's not a Christmas movie. Because. And- because that's my compelling. Argument. Okay. <laughs> that's usually what I hear though. It's not, there's too many murders and there's cocaine involved and too much profanity, but look, East it is German gangsters. Yes. You know. And they were, they were, look, you've got quite frankly, if, if Hans wants this to be a Christmas movie, it's a Christmas movie. That's how I look at it. This it Hans, this is such a good movie too. And look, whether you think it's a Christmas, when I say you, I'm talking to the millions and millions of breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry listeners that are out there. But with that, this is just such a good movie. And I, I do watch it every Christmas. Somebody had posted they were watching it on Thanksgiving. And I start also. It's, it played on TV. I think it was in an endless loop for 24 hours. I love this movie. It is a Christmas movie to me. I also understand why it's not a Christmas movie to a lot of people. Should be a little higher on the list, though, Jeff. That's all I'll say. Do you really think you have a chance, Mr. Cowboy? That was really good. That was my hands, Gruber. That was really good. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Going up further here, we got, oh, beginning the top 10. Now, I will say, Barry, I had a chance to watch this movie last year. I enjoyed the movie. My daughter, her favorite all-time Christmas movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Barry, do you like it? I do. So you and I talked about it. This was on one of the early episodes that we did, and and I believe you actually. So we're essentially rehashing it. material. That's great. Go ahead. Well, it was you know four four years ago, so at this point, I think we can rehash material. But at the same time, I don't think you had ever seen the movie at that stage. And I remember you told me you went and saw it, and I think you said you liked it. But you, oh, I did. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I I liked the movie a lot. So I liked Tim Burton a lot. I Danny Elfman is the voice of Jack Skellington. He also is uh, the guy who did all the music for the soundtrack. And when I first saw this movie, I believe it came out in 1991, if I'm correct. I saw it in the theater, and I was really blown away by it. It's just such a, it's a beautiful movie, too. You know, there's a lot involved with it. It's got great music. The animation, I just think, is incredible. It's the stop-motion animation, so it's not something that was drawn. And uh, the story is great. And a lot of the songs are really heartfelt as well. I could easily see why your daughter would love this movie and why this would be her favorite Christmas movie. This is an excellent movie. So at number nine, Barry, let's just say a favorite 
That's being a little sarcastic. Of the woke community, <laughs> they really have it in, Barry, for our childhood favorite, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, he, he's bullied! He's bullied! We can't watch this movie! Because that never fucking happens to anybody. This movie is about sticking to your own self, to your own self be true, and working through adversity. God forbid anyone should ever face adversity, Barry. How did is you that like really it? what they're saying? Are they really saying? Well, no, they, they they don't. I, from what I've read, wow. the, uh, that woke community they they're not. Uh, and you know, Santa in a way kind of rejects Rudolph. Uh, his, the other reindeer reject him because of his nose. And it's not until he finds love with Clarice. By the way, the second famous Clarice, Clarice. in history. Love it. Hello, hello Clarice. Uh, but, you know, I love this movie. It's great. I managed to watch it every Christmas season. And it, I think it sends a great message that somehow people are missing, Barry. So you're missing, it, again, it, I understand being woke, right? But isn't there a point when you're too woke? <laughs> like, Is this a case of being too woke in the sense that isn't there a redemption at the end where the Of bullies... course. Exactly. So what would you... There is redemption. There's a moral to this story that if you're bullied and you persevere, you win. This would be the what you would want to teach people as opposed to trying to hide this and putting yeah. this if away. If the ending so. of the movie was, uh, you know, Rudolph got killed because he was rejected by a Santa, <laughs> I understand it. I back that. Yes, exactly. So, but no, Rudolph, a classic. Everyone loves it. Uh, let's see. Uh, Barry, here's where I begin to... Uh, diverge a little bit so according to this die hard if you're going to accept the premise that it is a christmas movie okay okay rudolph the red-nosed reindeer not as good as number eight home alone two lost in new york <sighs> yeah i'm gonna give you one of those two okay <laughs> yeah like what the fuck you know i'm trying to understand and i'm i i know home alone two. i saw both you know, yeah, it takes place at Christmas. There are some cameos in there, which I'd rather not discuss, but yeah. Were you, were you in the movie? Were you working as a server in New York at the time they filmed? I, <laughs> How dare you? I How been, dare I, me, exactly. I would have been a manager at this stage, but no, I was not working <laughs> so, in New York at that stage. So. Let, let me just, uh, I'll skip up to number seven. The less said about Home Alone 2, as far as I'm concerned. Being in the top ten, uh, the better. Barry, have you ever seen the one at number seven? I have not. Did you ever see the Polar Express? I did. What a great movie Polar Express is. And uh, this was something I think that it, which is an animated film. My kids turned me on to it and we watched it and uh, I really liked it a lot. It's you know what? There is there are certain movies and I think Christmas is such a great example of this, too. Right. There are certain movies that just become magical and there's a magical feeling to it. Polar Express is one of those movies. Yeah, I remember when they opened up the rail lines uh, in Broward County before my wife and I moved away from there, they had a, uh, a thing on the, the rail lines, the Amtrak line that ran uh, from Fort Lauderdale up to West Palm Beach, no stops. And they had a segment or like a car where it was like they did the Polar Express experience. And it was just a car for parents and their, and their children, you know, obviously young kids and stuff like that. And, and they, the kids would come and their parents would come and like you dress up in your pajamas. And, you know, they would live the whole Polar Express experience. So I've not seen it, but I, I understand very good things about it. So Barry, number eight, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown. Charlie, You said Charlie Brown, and all of a sudden I got all warm and fuzzy inside, too. 
what a great part of my childhood. You know, we, Jeff, you and I being the same age, Sweet Lou being the baby of the group, but we're roughly the same age, the, the same age demographic. And we grew up, we had four channels, right? We had NBC, we had CBS, we had ABC. And then I should say we had five channels. Then we had a couple of UHF channels, didn't have Fox yet. We didn't have a lot of alternatives when it came to television. There was no DVR, there was no VCR or anything like that. You watch TV, and if you weren't in front of the TV, you didn't watch the fucking show. Like, that was it. You weren't seeing it. Yet, every year, Charlie Brown would come on. There was a Charlie Brown Christmas. You would see him for Easter. Whenever there was a major holiday. Halloween? Halloween. There, the Great Pumpkin. There was a whole Charlie Brown show for every holiday. And that was such a normal part of my childhood, which I'm assuming it was for you, too, that we would just sit and it was like, you know, fuck, it's uh, Easter. There's going to be a Charlie Brown Easter special. And I would sit and watch it. And I love Charlie Brown tremendously. So, a couple of things. First of all, I cannot imagine uh, this film being made today because, uh, you know, the whole there is a scene for those five of you maybe out there that have never seen a Charlie Brown Christmas. There's the scene where Linus repeats the story of Christmas from the Bible about the birth of Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And I, I really, I can't imagine that being uh, okayed by anyone, uh, you know, because people are so concerned about offending somebody, but I will tell you, Barry, I'll throw a little trivia at you based on something I read. What makes this, hmm, I don't want to give it away here. What? Okay. The, the Linus Van Pelt scene where he tells the story of Christmas to Charlie Brown what makes that scene so unique behind, besides the fact that he's quoting from the Bible? Do you know? I don't know. That is the only time in any Charlie Brown special for any holiday that Linus Van Pelt drops the towel. Seriously? Or his, his towel, his blanket, whatever, that he always has by his side. That's a security blanket. During the telling of the story of the birth of Jesus, he drops the blanket. Yes, I saw that, and it's it's referenced in, as being the only time he ever did that, which I think is, I mean, that's kind of cool to me, you know? So uh, very interesting. All right, did, Barry. Did the Wang make an appearance or no? The, the Wang did not come out? The Wang? The Wang. <laughs> <laughs> enough about your Wang. We've already okay, talked about sorry. your Wang earlier today. All right, you're right. You're right. Are, are you talking about the Wang or are you talking about the wah, wah, wah? Wah, wah. Yeah. That's the teacher, of course. So, Barry, you're going to be very happy to learn at number five. Uh, by God, it's a Chevy Chase movie. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I was watching part of it the other night, Bear. Fantastic. And I, I was watching it as well, Jeff. Whatever channel it was on, I think they were doing it also 24 hours and repeats and just kept going with it. So, you know, here's the funny thing about the, the vacation movies. I love the first one. The first one to me is an iconic classic comedy film. I saw European Vacation in the theaters and I was really disappointed, but it grew on me over the years. And then Christmas Vacation, right? There was Vegas and Christmas. And I think when I first saw Christmas Vacation, I was like, yeah, whatever. And the more I watch it, the more I like it. And I must have seen it now 50 to 100 times. I think a lot of ways it's the perfect Christmas movie because it's it's all about Christmas first off. Uh, so there's no debating. Is this a Christmas movie? But at the same time, there's a lot of humor that's got a great we got William Hickey in this movie, right? Yeah. You have a great cast of characters. And I think it is it May Questall that plays his wife. Uh, you mean uh, Aunt Bethany? Just, yeah, Aunt Bethany. I yeah. mean, she's just, uh, yeah, so just a great movie. And then you know what? At the end of the film, it gets a little sweet. 
He got Julie Louis Dreyfus, I should say, also, but it gets a little sweet. The ending is a Margot movie. Margot, yeah. So yeah, this is a this is a stellar movie. I love it. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't understand why is the stereo all wet, uh, Todd. I don't know, Marco. <laughs> yes. But a uh, little trivia that I was just sharing uh, earlier today in the group, and I don't know if you saw it, Barry. Aunt Bethany, the voice of Olive Oil in the Popeye cartoons, and Betty Boop. Did you know that? I think it, it's May Questall, right? Wasn't that her, who it was? I don't have that in front of me, so I'll have to take your word for it. Sweet Lou would let us know, but I knew that she was the voice of Betty Boop. That I knew. Yeah. So somebody else, when I posted that uh, the picture up, oh, Sweet Lou, are you joining us? No, he's not. Okay. So it's a what? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Hello there. Up Lou. So do you know uh, in the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Aunt Bethany, the lady that did the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil, the name of the actress? Uh, I believe May Questell. Ah, so Barry was right. Very good. There you Barry. go. So, uh, yeah, there's there's so many I kind of, you know, cousin Eddie, uh, you know, put <laughs> empty, empty in his toilet down the drain. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the drain, drain. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, some classic stuff. Number four, Barry. Oh, it's Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful life. I mean, this is a this is legendary. This is right up there with Miracle on 34th Street. This is probably with iconic Christmas movies, as far as uh, the country, this is probably it, right? This is the one everybody talks about. It's a wonderful life. You've got it to write a passage during Christmas to see this movie, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's a movie that's not, it's just not about Christmas. It's about believing in yourself, you know, uh, taking that, you know, when you have the opportunity, he, he doesn't leave town, he stays and helps his family and always questions what would have happened if he had left. And he's been uh, he's given the opportunity to see what would have happened if he hadn't been around, how the town would have suffered. And by the way, did you ever see the Saturday Night Live skit with John Lovitz and uh, Dana Carvey about It's a Wonderful Life? Did you ever see that? I don't think so. Oh, my God. It's fucking hilarious where where uh, John Lovitz plays old man Potter and they find out in the end that he's really he's <laughs> never been crippled. It's really funny. So I'll have to I'll have to post that link uh, when we put this on our, on our page. Oh, number three, Barry. My all-time favorite. Yes, it's Ralphie and his his endless search for the uh, the Red Ryder BB gun, A Christmas Story, Barry. Yeah, so a lot of people love this movie. And uh, so I like it. I, I'm not as uh, crazy. My ex-in-laws, this was it. Every You know, right after between Thanksgiving and Christmas, all they would do was talk about this movie. And then you would have uh, dinner over their house during the Christmas holidays, and it would be two-hour discussions on A Christmas Story. Everything from the gun... Uh, the BB gun and, and taking an eye out to uh, Yo, little, shoot your eye out, kid. Little brother putting his tongue Randy. on the pole. Randy. Uh, no, no, it was the, not uh, Randy. It was not Randy. I believe it was Schwartz. It was it Schwartz or the other kid that put his tongue on the pole. But uh, no, definitely because Randy was dressed up uh, in the winter clothes and he looked like a tick uh, that had just fed. I think that was the line. That's right. Cause he's all bulbous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so Darren McGavin. As the old man, and uh, Melinda Dillon playing his mom, Melinda Dillon, who was in Slapshot, who was in E.T., you know, so it's hard to believe that Ralphie's mom a couple years before was doing the naked scene in Slapshot. And we were getting boners over it. That's the worst part. Like we were right. No excuses here. We were we were into that. And Darren McGavin, Jeff, how could we mention Darren McGavin without saying it? Who was he? He was, he was Col- he was Kolchak, baby. Uh, yes, sir. 
I never miss a, I tape, I've seen every episode five times, but every Saturday night at midnight on uh, MeTV, I freaking tape that episode and I'll watch it again. <laughs> Number two, Barry, Will Ferrell, Elf. Yeah, so I like Elf. It's this another one. I'm not, my kids fucking lose their minds over Elf. It's everything to them. For me, yeah, I like it. I, I think the more that I watch it, I do like it a little more. I kind of got this weird Will Ferrell thing going where I'm not like, yeah, he kind of, I'm not the biggest fan, but but this is a well-made movie. At the end of the day, this is a well-made movie, and there are several scenes where I think you truly would laugh out loud as well. Yeah, and a uh, couple things. First of all, Bob Newhart as Papa Elf is great. great. Ed Asner as Santa. Uh, but little trivia, when Will Ferrell is still living in uh, Santa's village at the North Pole, right. uh, the elf that is uh, complaining that he's not doing the work is the kid that played Ralphie in A Christmas Story. Did you know that? Peter, was it Peter Billingsley? Peter Billingsley, yes. Wow, I did not know that. I had yes, no he idea. Play, he plays like the elf supervisor, if you will, or the head elf. He's not Papa Elf. But uh, yeah, if you look closely, it's Peter Billingsley. And if you see that and all of a sudden you think about how many years has gone by between Elf and uh, A Christmas Story, you start feeling really old. Controversial choice to some, Barry. Number one Christmas movie of all time. What haven't we talked about, Barry? Uh, I Oh, so there's one. And I don't think this is it, though, Jeff. I mean, do I? Uh, there was a movie with Laurel and Hardy. Do you remember no, this movie? Okay. What was, what was that movie called? Um, was Laurel and Hardy meets Santa Claus? I don't know. It was something like that. It was March of the Wooden Soldier. Yes. March of the Wooden yes, Soldier. No, I know you're talking about now. You're correct. That, that, was, that, that did not make the top 25. Well, so much for this list, right? But I got to tell you, I love that movie. And uh, that whenever that does come on, I like black and white movies, too. I'll watch that. But so I don't know. I don't know what number one would be then. Number one, I'll just say one word and you'll know what the movie is, Barry. Are you ready? Right. Let's do it. <clears throat> this is me doing some acting. <clears throat> Kevin! Okay. Well, you know what? Based off of the hints you gave earlier, I should have got that also. So you're acting, Jeff. Hold on. And the winner for the exactly that was uh, that was excellent act. So Home Alone is a great Christmas movie, right? And I actually saw that during the Christmas holidays when it was released, nineteen ninety, Jeff. Uh, or, yeah, about that. Gotcha. So I went with a young lady I was seeing at the time, and then I went on a thank double you, John McAdam. So I know exactly encroaching into John McAdam's territory here. And uh, I went with a friend of mine and his wife, my friend Mike Gonzalez, who has since passed away. Rest in peace, Mike. You were a great guy. And we had a great night. And then we went and looked at Christmas lights. They were somewhere in South Miami, Jeff, where they would take a whole area in region and all they would do is Christmas lights. It was just beautiful to see it. So uh, we did it. But I, I always liked this movie. I always there was something fun about it, had a great cast. You felt the animal. I thought everything about it. Is it the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Not in my opinion. I don't think in your opinion either. No. But does it deserve yeah, to no. be in the top it's, ten? It's a, yeah. it's a very good movie. It should be in the top ten. There's no question about it. How the fuck, excuse me, and during the Christmas season, how the heck did Home Alone 2 make, even make this list? Right. You know? the, uh, March of the Wooden Soldiers, no. Home Alone 2, yes. Jingle all the way. Uh, oh, come on. But Home Alone is a good movie. Uh, it's actually a really good movie. It's a really good Christmas movie. I just don't think it belongs at number one. 
Oh, it definitely doesn't belong at number one. And I, I got to say, Jingle. So March of the Wooden Soldiers doesn't make it, but Jingle All the Way makes yeah. it. What about the ones with uh, Tim Allen, where Tim played Santa Claus? That was all. That was like uh, down at, I skipped over. It was like 17, okay. 18, somewhere like that. The Santa Claus. Yes. The Santa Claus, right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, in this uh, spirit, uh, during the holiday season, uh, if you are a celebratory uh, person of the Christmas season, uh, on behalf of uh, Sweet Lou, uh, Barry, and myself, we want to wish you our uh, holiday and greetings and enjoy a fine holiday Christmas movie. Barry, we are honored to be joined by official friend of the show, Frankie Seacrest. Of course, we uh, got a chance to meet Frankie and the lovely Mrs. Seacrest. Barry, you mentioned it before we started recording the segment. Frankie definitely married up, Bear. What do you think? Oh, so his wife, to me, would be the CEO of any company she ever applied for. You talk about not only beautiful. Is she applying only- for a CEO spot in Breaking Fabe? <laughs> she could have it. She would absolutely. You know what? That's what we need, Jeff. We exactly. need somebody to, to run our operation here, and she would be the right person. But great people. And before Frankie actually tells us why he's joining us today, we should point out that whenever we do have a sponsor, we always say we really appreciate when our listenership patronizes our sponsors and our advertisers. I believe Frankie has patronized every single sponsor we have ever had, Jeff. Well, Barry, stop right there. Join me. Round of applause for Frankie. Well done, Mr. Seacrest. Well done. Hey, no, I I love you guys, and, and you know, like you guys weren't having Patreon, so I said, how can I support them? Well, that's how I could do it, and then of course, let everybody know where they can listen to you guys and 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 the awesome Facebook group. So Barry Frankie comes up with this tremendous, tremendous idea. Very, very generous of him. Why don't you lead Frankie into what he's here for today? Yeah, and I we again we also want to give a lot of credit to his wife Jana, who is also an. Really, absolute, why are we having Frankie on? Let's we we need to have Jan. Frankie, you need to turn the headset over to Jana <laughs> at this point. We need to get her on the show. But uh, you know, Frankie said something to me, and I believe it was at Fan Fest, or it might have been like the day after. And he said, you know, it, it, Frankie and Jana really had a great time there, and uh, you know, there's always a concern when you bring your spouse to a wrestling event of, you know, what could go wrong and certainly a lot could go wrong, but she had a good time and they came up with an idea. And when he was telling me about it, I was just blown away by it. And I was just so, I was so moved in the fact, you know, Frankie is a very benevolent human being. We, he's a, I consider him a close friend of mine. Uh, he's a great guy on every level. And I said, Frankie, this is unbelievable what you want to do, but I don't think I should be the one to be breaking this. I think you should come on the show. You should be the one telling everybody about this. And before Frankie does that, this is something that is strictly for the brother shipper. So this is not something that you're going to see in the CWF group or even the fan fest group. This is all staying localized within the brother shipper group because Frankie considers himself a true brother shipper. So Frankie, thanks for joining us today, my man. No, uh, I'm glad to be here. And, and here's how it sort of uh, came about. So uh, on the way home, Jen and I were talking and I was like, you know, there were so many people that we heard that couldn't be there and that everyone would say, oh, I wish they were here. I wish this person was here. And, and actually it, it started after uh, Jerry Jarrett talked that morning which was phenomenal. And, and my wife has told other people that they would have loved it. They didn't have to be wrestling fans to love 
him standing up there and and talking and and that it was just tremendous and his stories were great and he knew how to tell a story so you know that that speaks magnitudes to the level of guests that you have there uh you know at the fan fest right and so afterwards we're sitting there we're sitting with uh chris zaha travis rains michael herrick uh there was a bunch kevin dingham uh, a ton of people were around and then they just were going around. Oh, I wish you know this person could be here. They're having uh, health issues. Oh, and this person, you know, going through a divorce, and 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 all these people that we wish could be there that that weren't there. And I'm like, well, we got two thousand people in the Facebook group. We, you know, surely we could get you know if if we pull things together and and we could get another person there, right? So on the way home, I, I was telling Jenna that, and we're talking, and she says, well, let's just do it. I said, well, what, we'll do what? She said, well, let's you and I pool our resources and let's get someone there. And and so that's where the idea came up that what we'll do is each fan fest will sponsor a person who may not normally be able to make it to be able to come to the fan fest. So, you know, financially. So what we came up with is we'll provide the ultra ticket because in my opinion, you have to, you can't just come for, whatever the base one is where you come around and you meet everybody, you, you have to stay, you you have to get that full experience of the fan fest. Sell and, it, Frankie, sell it, Frankie. Tell yeah. the people, tell the people. Let they that real estate that agent in you come out, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't just get there. Here's where I screwed up. You can't just get there Saturday morning. You need to be there Friday night and checked into the hotel. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to get uh, two nights of hotel. We're going to get the ultra ticket so that you see the cup of coffee, so that you see the uh, the, the dinner there. And the dinner was great. We loved it. Uh, you know, I used to be in food stir- service. Janet used to be in food service. We're not food snobs by any means, but we do eat well. well, well. Were, you a, were you a server or a manager, Frankie? <laughs> I was both, much like Barry. <laughs> Boom. There you go. There it is. Yep. And so, uh, you know, Jana did catering. Actually, she went to a technical high school where she uh, learned culinary and then she got into catering. Of course she did. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. She's also a chef. I I don't mean to interrupt you, but based on the reviews from the last fan fest of the food that was provided, maybe we can talk her in and and some sort of financial uh, retribution there. Talk her into making the meal for the uh, fan fest. Howard Baum, not impressed with the food that uh, that was offered, Barry. But anyway, please. uh, And to that point, we are going back to our old food instead of what we did last time. So, yes, I understand. Well, well, I I could see where Howard would get that from. But for me, it was a little snotty, though, about food, too. Let's be honest. (laughs) He's a little snotty about food, right? Come on. If he's snotty about anything, it's his food. But but yeah. we love we we love the chicken and the rice. And I, I mean, we thought it was great. And I mean, hey, you're in a hotel, you know that's that, that's not like got a big fancy restaurant in it. So well, in that case, in that case, I'm keeping the chicken and rice now. Then since Frankie oh, kind of liked it, coming. yeah, done. Yeah, and and then you, you didn't. So you you've got the uh, the guys that have the dinner, and then you've got the late night party, and and you have to experience the whole thing. So that's why we're providing the cost of the ultra ticket, but we're also going to provide. Hotel for Friday night, a hotel for Saturday night, so that you ain't got to pack up and leave after everything's done. You're you're there, and you can stay for the full experience, and then you could stay there Sunday morning and say bye to everybody. So we want the the person that we're helping get here to be able to experience the whole shebang. So and, and so we'll actually get an extra night hotel, and we'll be there Friday night as well because 
like hearing I missed out on Fonzie and and all the fun and shenanigans, it broke my heart. So then we're also going to provide airfare anywhere in wow. let's just say the continental United States. Sorry for those uh, folks those that we got over in Alaska aren't coming to the yeah. fan fest. I so our big it. listenership in Uganda, Jeff, can't come over for this one. Damn. Right. Damn. Yep. And so, um, yeah. And, and then plus we're going to give money to eat with during the day. We don't want anyone to go, wow. oh, great. You got me here. Now, now all I got is the uh, hotel food. That you know, meal at glory days will be taken care of there. We, <laughs> we're giving uh, 50 bucks a day for food. So that will be $150 that we will give this person to eat on for, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I'll be picking them up from the airport, whether that's a plus or a minus, who knows? (laughs) And so they don't have to worry about getting a car. I'll pick them up, take them to the hotel. Sunday morning, I'll take them back. Well, and and so that's that's the plan. The the plan is that, you know, we'll, we'll get someone airfare, you know, the U.S., get them there pay for their hotel, pay for the ultra ticket, because I feel, and Jana, who that was her first one, who she doesn't listen to the podcast. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We provide quality content here. We're going to have to get Jana to start listening, Bear. Well, yeah. no, 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 no. See, she's the breadwinner, and she doesn't have time <laughs> And she would be here. To, and, and actually, I thought that exact same thing when I said, oh, I'm going to be talking to those guys. It would be so much better if Janet just came on and did this, but she's down there, you know, paying the mortgage and stuff right now. So that's that 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 can't happen. Uh, but she did say she'll be done at four thirty, so maybe she'll be able to come on and say hello. But, great. So Frankie, tell us what what do the brother shippers have to do to be qualified for this big act of benevolence that you're offering? Uh, it that's easy. J- just send me an email and say, "Hey, Frankie, it's so and so. I would love to attend." The, the fan fest and and so we're sort of going to prioritize so anyone that's never been to a fan fest before and it'll be someone that's got you know some needs you know it's like hey this is what's going on in my life and why i can't afford it and they will help them you, you know and you know we just want don't want it to be a lottery where you know someone that comes every year gets a free ride we actually want to be able to help those that you know can't be there and it's just based on the stories that we that we heard of everybody that, you know, it's like Shard Johnson, they wish you could be there and he was working or, or something, right? So it, it, it's it's those folks that we would love to have been there. So if, and I'm sure he could have been there if we said, hey, you got a free hotel or whatever, you know, and maybe he could have got out of the work. I, I don't know, but but it's just people like him that everybody really wants to meet and see. And that is the thing that is so special about this fan fest is it's not just Ricky and Robert, which was tremendous in itself, not just Jerry Jarrett, not just Lynn Denton, but it's that those times in between when you uh, are waiting to see those people that you're just sitting around and you're talking and you, you might be talking and it's just like, it's just like the brothership, you know, Facebook group. You might be talking about football. You might be talking about food. You might be talking about your family. I mean, you're talking about all other things, including wrestling. Because, you know, in the Brothership, we don't just stick to wrestling. Oh! You see what he did there? Get him on the payroll, Jeff. Get him on the payroll. So, well, listen, this sounds great, Frankie. Uh, We are so appreciative to you and your lovely bride. And again, let me stress, this is for people that who have never been to the Fan Fest. And uh, 
I want to also clarify, just because of uh, his reputation for uh, <clears throat> being somewhat miserly, Dave Penzer does not qualify for this plan. Penzer <laughs> <laughs> no, does not qualify. So just so that everybody understands this, Frankie, what is your email address? All right. So this is going to sound crazy. You're going to say, oh, he's giving out his phone number, but I'm not. This is my email address. It is 233-0186 at gmail.com. Gotcha. So uh, we'll be posting this also in our Facebook group. Just to quickly reiterate everything that Frankie said, the qualifications should be somebody that has never been to a fan fest. You would have to send Frankie an email explaining why you want to go. Frankie is going to pick up the cost of the ultra ticket, two nights hotel, plane fare from anywhere in the continental United States, as well as a per diem for three days, uh, totaling $150. This is unbelievable. Again, only for our for the brother shippers. This is only for you guys. I am at this stage going to toss in a free ultra ticket. What? What? So, did you do that with Penzer? I did not, Jeff, which makes it even sweeter, the fact that I'm doing <laughs> it. So Penzer has no idea, but while I can't afford to do the hotel and the plane fare and everything else, there will be a free ultra ticket. So this will be for essentially the runner up. Does that sound good, Frankie? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. That That is so awesome. So awesome. I will say once again, because it's only the continental United States, Barry, you know what that means? Nobody from Wales is oh, eligible. Yeah. Nobody from Germany, uh, yeah, Dima Bauer. Uh, nobody from Japan, Ashley Elena Kamek. Sorry, you did not qualify for this plan. Don't mean to disappoint you all. And let me just say this too. You know, my hope is that people see that not we're doing anything special, but that, that it feels good to give. And so in the future, so this one, Jan and I just want to do just ourselves and just get it done and get a person over here. But in the future, we'd like people to contribute $5, $10, whatever you got to try and help get someone else there and just be a part of it. Because I know that not everyone can afford an extra ultra ticket or plane fare, but it has changed my life. And I know it's changed Jan's life of giving, you know, especially before I met Jan where I didn't have it to give. You know, I, I, I gave and, and Barry has heard some stories of, of the crazy stuff that I used to do to, to to actually give. So my hope is to encourage other people to give and contribute because it really feels good to know that you're helping somebody do something that they wouldn't be able to do on their own. You know, Barry, as we begin to wrap up uh, this segment here, uh, Frankie and his wife, their generosity and, and discussing the fact that uh the next time we we have a go around on this, that they'll be asking people to chip in so they can continue to do this. I can't help but think that Florida's own David Penzer would be happy to perhaps, if not an ultra ticket, uh, contribute some fine uh, uh, cash uh, to this worthy <laughs> cause because we know David is nothing if not generous, Barry. Yeah, absolutely too. So uh, I I love this fact, and I love the fact that I'm gonna I'm gonna hit Penzer right between the eyes with giving out a free ultra <laughs> yeah. ticket. Is it, is it between the eyes or somewhere else, Barry? That's yeah. Where I'm <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's somewhere I'm gonna hit him up with this. But I again, this is you know we talk about the brothership, and I who was it, Jeff, that came up with the the brothership tag four years ago? Mm. Was it Travis? It was Travis or Michael or Mark or it was or Benji. It was really one of the original hardcores that have been with us for over four years. And 
I got to tell you, I don't think there is another podcast that has a, a group of people like we have as far as the Brothershippers that are this close, that consider each other family. And there is no other podcast associated at all with somebody who is willing to pick up the airfare, the hotel, the ticket and give a per diem. It doesn't exist out there. This is highly unique. And I'll tell you what, I could be no more proud to be part of this podcast based off of something like this, Jeff. Good words, Barry. I completely agree. Thank you, Frankie, and your uh, your lovely wife uh, for doing this and uh, representing on behalf of the Brothership. Our pleasures. We're, we're happy to help, and, and we love you guys. Barry, once again, another fine episode. I hope the folks enjoyed our discussion of uh, the top 10 Christmas movies. Of course, now, since it's after Christmas, as always, Barry, we are nothing if not timely. Well, we are. But look, Christmas, I think for a lot of people, Christmas starts around Thanksgiving. And then for a lot, really, for, I think for the majority, it's that second to third week in December where if people are they're into it. So even though Christmas was just a couple of days ago, three days, whatever it's been, nobody's working. Everybody's home. And if you're watching a good Christmas movie, where better to get a list of Christmas movies then your your three best friends you never knew you had, Jeff, at Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. You sounded like a semi-professional broadcaster there, Barry. Semi-professional, exactly. Yeah, semi, as opposed to a semi-professional wino from Chicago. <laughs> I don't know if you know who that is. So on behalf of my co-host, Barry Rose, and our producer, Sweet Lou Kippman, did you notice I switched up a little there, Barry? I gave you the plug first. I am Jeff Bowdrin. Sometimes they call me the booker. And on behalf of Barry and Lou, we say wishing you a happy holiday season. And for your holiday season, Barry, do you know what I should mention? What's that? We are a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. There you go. I'm going to get it.